Uh, let's pray together and then we'll jump in. Father, we're thankful for this morning and ask that in your grace and in your kindness you would use this time to just give us great visions of both who you are and what you've called us to, to do and to be. Lord, you haven't called us to some sort of life of passiveness or uh, just kind of sitting around and waiting, but you've called us to a life of, of action, a life of togetherness, and a life of ministry that you empower and make effective. And so we thank you for just the opportunity to do this and ask that you would help us to just take root and bear fruit in our lives. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're like me, and you, you at times have gotten excited about something. Um, gotten excited about something and then kind of jumped into it without enough thought about, do I have the right expectations? Do I have the right strategy? I am a little bit of a, you know, jump first and think later type person. So for example, my wife wanted to remodel our bathroom. And I thought, ooh, that's a small space. How hard could it be? And this is, this is how I developed expectations. You just take all the stuff out, and then you put stuff back in, and you figure it out as you go. <laughs> and you can see how this went. Um, I mean, the, the taking stuff out wasn't even as easy as it should be. You're just taking stuff out, right? But no, everything was hard to take out. Um, I developed tendonitis because I had to break out the floor because it was, you know, like four-inch concrete with this reinforced nonsense in it. And, um, and it was brutal. And I tried to pour a shower pan after I finally got everything out. And, um, and that cracked a couple of times and this, that, and the other. And all that to say, I did not have good expectations of what was really going to be at stake in trying to remodel a bathroom. And I had zero strategy. My strategy literally was take it all out and put it back in. And that's my fault. Uh, I've done it with, with, with a car. <laughs> I have pictures of, of my old CRV where I thought, oh, my brakes are bad. Surely I can do this. So I put the car up on, on, on jacks, and, and it was on there for, for weeks, you know, over the course of realizing that my car and its various, you know, nuts and bolts had just become so solidified that me and my, my crescent wrench were just really struggling with these things. And zero expectation, or at least bad expectation, um, and, and not very good strategy. This is the time of year where perhaps some of you have purchased a, a treadmill or an elliptical with perhaps wrong expectations or not enough strategy, and eventually that's going to become a clothes hanger in your basement. But they're all just illustrations, right, for what happens when you don't have the right expectations and you don't have the right strategy. And the same really is true in biblical soul care. It can be true in biblical soul care, which is what we're studying and we're talking about. And you might, you might get excited now that we're about halfway through, and you might want to run off and start trying to meet everybody's needs around you. But without the right basic strategy and the right foundational expectations, I almost guarantee that you'll be subject to great disillusionment and discouragement. All right, I speak from personal experience in that. But I also speak from personal experience and tell you that you should be excited. If the truths that we've been talking about and learning about have, have generated a, an excitement and a, 
and an, an inner zeal for implementing these, fabulous. It should. Knowing how to care for your own soul and the lives of those around you and then watching God work through His Spirit and through His Word is so rewarding and so enriching and is something that has eternal ramifications. So my goal this morning is to help set some foundational expectations and give you a, a, a core operating strategy, as it were, so you don't just sort of run off and try to do biblical soul care like I tried to remodel our bathroom. I want you to do better than I did, all right? So let's, set, let's talk about some expectations first, and I kind of broke it down into expectations of the caregiver the care receiver, and then God in the midst of the process, just so that we have the right categories of thinking. And keep, keep in mind that in these categories, you know, it's easy to think, okay, at hand is a problem. You know, this, this person is struggling with this sin, for example. Uh, just throw it out there, the sin of laziness. And so there's this problem, and so I'm the caregiver, and there's this lazy person who's the receiver, and so what are the expectations? And that could be true, but in all honesty, there could also be just a point of discouragement. There could be the point of, look, I am in the position of giving care to a person who has just lost their loved one. And that's not like, that's not like a situation of always, how do we deal with this sin? But it's how do I give the care that God wants me to give to this person who my life is intersecting with in that moment? Okay, But with all of that, uh, when we think about the person who's in the role of the caregiver, all right, one of the first things to realize is that you're not Superman. All right? And I mean this in a couple of ways. Some of you need to, need to be motivated to action by this series, and some of you need to realize that you don't have superpowers. And you can't meet every need that's around you. And you can't bear the weight of Metropolis, the city, or Mission Road Bible Church on your shoulders and do it all. This is why God calls the whole church. This is, this is why the pastor or the pastors are not called to do. We're not supermen either, and we can't do all the ministry ourselves. We can't bear the weight of that burden all of ourselves, and we don't have the power or the abilities to do that all of ourselves. God calls us as a community journeying towards heaven to engage with this sort of ministry all together. Okay, so this is not resting on any one person's shoulders uh, as, as, as if uh, Superman, you know, is, is supposed to do it all himself. All right, so make sure that you tell yourself that and make sure you also tell your spouse or your roommate or whoever you see maybe thinking that way, um, help them to see that. As the caregiver, you are not the source of all wisdom and answers. And this is really easy to think that, oh, there's a problem, uh, a statement is made, a question is asked, and so I must have an answer right away. And you don't need to. There are plenty of opportunities you want to be prepared. You want to be studied in God's Word and intentional and thoughtful about how you deal with people. But it's okay to at some point say, hey, you know what? I don't know the exact answer to that. Let's pray. I love you. I want to support you and encourage you. And next time we get together and talk, I'll have some more thoughts 
I'll, I'll, I'll do some study and I'll, I'll look into this and I'll ask around and we'll, we'll learn this together. Okay, that, that's okay. In the position of being the care receiver doesn't mean, uh, care giver doesn't mean that you have to have the perfect answer for everything or else you're a failure or a bust. Okay, that is not the definition of success as a caregiver. You're also not responsible for someone's change. And this is crucial. Okay, it's kind of akin to that Superman issue. If you put on your shoulders the responsibility for someone else's change or implementation or uh, apprehension or uh, any of those things of God's truth in this particular situation, and you say that if they don't get it and if they don't change and if they don't grow, then it's my fault, that will crush you. That will crush you. And that's not a weight or a burden that you're supposed to take on yourself. Okay? So those are what you're not to be as the caregiver. But what are you to be? Here, you are called to be faithful. Okay? You are called and expected to be faithful. You're expected to be faithful to conduct yourself according to Scripture with the attitudes and, and the interactions and the actions and the thoughts and the motivations that God calls you to. You are called to be faithful to spur others on to maturity in Christ, right? Which means that then the Bible and the gospel are the anchor of your interactions and your care for one another. So you're called to be faithful in how you conduct yourself and how you interact with these people, but that doesn't mean, like I just said, that you're responsible for their change or their ability then to um, to reorient their lives according to however you're encouraging them and giving them care. You are called to be patient. First um, Thessalonians 5.14 says to uh, encourage the weak and to, uh, to, to help the faint-hearted and to rebuke the unruly. And then it says be patient with all. Okay? So we are called to be patient. And in our society... Generally, we're not very good at this with either ourselves, and we'll talk about this, okay, or with others. If you're like me, it's kind of like, okay, you sit down, or you, hey, you know, man, I, I see that this is going on, or I understand that you're discouraged about this. Well, let, let's, let's have a 30-minute conversation and just fix all your problems. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. But think about your own life and your own heart, how many struggles, problems, sins, discouragements are resolved in a 30-minute situation in your own life? Mm -hmm. Probably pretty minimal, right? So just recognize that God calls us to be patient with one another through these processes. Uh, you are also called to be dependent. Look at Ephesians 6, 18 with me. Ephesians 6.18. Listen to the, uh, the kind of redundant, but really it's, a, it's a, an emphatic kind of redundancy. The language in verse 18. With all prayer and petition. Okay, that's, that's a great statement. But then pray at all times in the Spirit. 
And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Okay, do you hear that? You hear that dependency in prayer at all times in the Spirit? Keep on praying. Oh, and by the way, pray. All right, so we are to be utterly dependent in all of life, but especially when we're giving soul care uh, to one another, we need to remind ourselves to be dependent upon the Lord, and that goes hand in glove with remembering that we're not responsible for someone else's change. And so anytime we go into an interaction with somebody, we should be talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, work here, please. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be truthful and compassionate and firm and gracious and whatever else needs to be mixed up in there. But then may you accomplish your work. And you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying for and with these people in all these situations because you cannot uh, affect change on behalf of someone else, okay? And uh, you, you can't create a new way of thinking. You can't create a different heart direction. You can equip them. You can, you can speak truth in such a way that um, between them and the Lord, if they seek to then live that out, it will yield fruit. All right, but you need to cultivate, make sure that you cultivate spirits of dependency in the midst of all these interactions because it doesn't rest on you. If we look in Galatians 6, we see a couple of principles. First, in, uh, in verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. You and I are called to be sacrificial. You cannot bear a burden without feeling a weight, without having to give something up on your end. Maybe that's time. Maybe that's emotional energy. Well, it is time. I guarantee that. And it is emotional energy. And it is spiritual energy. And it is, you know, uh, maybe even finances, resources. There, there can be a lot of things that require sacrifice in the midst of giving care to one another because we are called to bear one another's burdens. And by nature of that, that will mean a, mean a sacrifice. And so it's important just that we, we, we don't think, oh, you know what, I should be able to just, um, I, hear, I hear about a situation, I send a text, and we're all good. And that, that, can be, that can be an encouraging part. That can be a part of a process. But don't be surprised and don't be shocked when it takes a phone call or when it takes a lunch or an evening or a morning or many mornings or a weekend, or who knows, okay, that there will be sacrifices in those things. And you need to have balance in those. You need to have uh, wisdom in how sacrificial that is because God calls each one of us to many roles and responsibilities in our lives. And so we have to make sure that we're addressing all of those things well, but understand that we are called to be sacrificial in our care for one another. And in verse one there, we are also called to be cautious. Verse one of chapter six, brethren, 
even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. All right, so when you go to give care for someone else, be cautious. Be cautious for your own heart. Be cautious for the heart of the person that you're ministering to. Be cautious for your own temptation or weakness to sin in a, in a myriad of ways, really. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, it says this, this is the will of God. Woo! Okay, pay attention. Your sanctification. If you want to know what God wants for you in life, and then it goes on specifically to address uh, the area of sexual purity, but that's a subset of just your sanctification. If you want to know what God wants for you in and through every situation, you know. He wants you to grow in Christ-likeness. He wants you to grow in being set aside for His service and for His glory and, and to grow in holiness and to grow in putting off your own sin. He wants you to be sanctified. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes these situations of, of, of caring for one another are actually more about you as the caregiver being grown and sanctified than it is about actually enacting change in the care recipient. And so if all you think is, okay, the only purpose that I might be in this situation is for them and for them to grow and for them to change and for them to figure this out and all that kind of stuff. If that's the only reason you think you're in that situation, you're going to miss for sure half the equation. And frankly, based upon personal experience, you might miss 90% of the reason. And so you'll be frustrated, you'll be discouraged, you, you, you'll be disillusioned. Like, why am I dumping all this time into this situation and this person who doesn't seem to be changing and who doesn't seem to be responding? And you're missing the point that God is working in you. And that's crucial. So you should be able to rejoice, to be able to kind of self-assess and say, oh, okay, I see. Again, you see how this interacts with the earlier statement that you're not called to enact change. You're not responsible for their change. But as you're seeking to address them and their lives and, and do things in them, you may realize that you're speaking even more poignantly to your own heart and your own soul and your own situation and suddenly you're growing in patience, you're growing in, in realizing how truly sinful you are and how you didn't know that you had those, those tendencies and those traits until this situation sort of squeezed it out. And, and you thought, no, I thought we were talking about you. And now you're over here saying, oh, well, I guess this is really kind of about me and my own growth. And, and that's a good thing. Okay? So embrace that. Embrace that and realize that God is at work in you as a caregiver in the midst of those situations also. All right? Uh, what about as a care receiver? Okay, so if you're a person who is, who is being cared for, let's set some right expectations. First off is that biblical soul care is not over-the-counter treatment. All right? And by that I mean this. Look, when I, I'm a total wimp when it comes to physical ailments. Total wimp. If, if, if I have 
some, some sinus blockage or whatever. I want every sort of decongestant and Tylenol and diphenylephenephrine and all that kind of stuff that you can throw at me. I will take it in a heartbeat because I want relief. Okay, And we all want that even when it comes to soul care and to the hardships of our lives and to the difficulties that we're going through, but that's not generally how life works, and that's not generally how our soul works. Um, biblical counseling is somewhat wrongly caricatured as, you know, here, take this verse and feel better in the morning. Right? That's what, that's what some people think biblical counseling or caring for someone is, is, is like that, where you're like, okay, um, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with, with uh, jealousy, and well, the Bible says, don't be jealous. Here's the verse that says that, so think about that, and you'll feel all better tomorrow. <laughs> and that's, that's just not how it works, okay? So when you're in the situation of receiving care, don't think that way. Don't think okay, I'm going to have a 30-minute conversation with somebody and bang, I'm going to be changed. Okay, that might, that might be the case. And the more avidly that you pursue it and the more prayerfully and dependently that you, that you engage with God's truth and His person in this process, then generally you are going to see faster results. So don't, don't, don't take what I'm saying and go to the other side and be like, well, I guess nothing's going to work. It's going to take at least four years for me to overcome this problem. That's not the case either. Okay. But don't look at it as if it's over-the-counter treatment where I take Tylenol and my headache goes away in 45 minutes and wonderful, all right? This is also not a time for Teflon. You. You are not Teflon, all right? This is totally dumb, but this is what I thought of, all right? Teflon, the whole point of it is it doesn't stick, right? When I was a kid, you know what you used to say when you were a kid, I'm rubber. Your glue, whatever you say, bounces off me and sticks to you. Okay? This is not a time for that. This is about you. When you are in a situation of receiving care, be first and foremost concerned with yourself. Be utterly self-consumed by realizing that you are going to deal with your heart. You're not, you're not talking to the person giving you care and saying, you know what, if we can just figure out how to change my boss, then ha, ha, I will be able to respond so much better. If we can just figure out how to change my kid, my roommate, my spouse, you know what, if I can just figure out the right way to address these health problems, then suddenly... I will be able to, and you see how all that's Teflon, right? It's not me, it's that. It's not me, it's that. It's not me, it's him. It's not me, it's her. It's, that's, that's what I'm saying. This is not an opportunity to punt and to defer and to blame shift. If you're in the position of being a care receiver, then just sit and take it and think hard about yourself. Because again, no person can create change in another person. And so you, and you don't necessarily even know that your circumstances will change. And so if your hope is in that person changing or in that circumstance changing, then you might just be utterly disappointed because that wasn't God's will. But you thought, well, if God really wants to work, then that's what he's going to do. And then suddenly you're in a position of saying, well, God didn't do what he said he was going to do. But you know what God is going to do is he's going to work in your heart 
if you put yourself in the position and the expectation of receiving that. All right? So you can't receive counsel or soul care well if you have an attitude of, yeah, but, right? Or, yeah, if only... Okay, so you cannot, you will not receive it well, and, and frankly, chances are good that you're not going to actually see any growth, you're not going to see any change if those phrases or such types of phrases as, yeah, but, or if only, if those are in your vocabulary or in your mind or in your heart, it's going to be a hard time, all right? So don't be Teflon. If you remember uh, Dale's teaching on the AIM of biblical soul care, this gets back to that. It's the care and addressing of the heart. That's the goal. That's the aim. That's God's desire, not necessarily the change of people or circumstances around you. All right? So if you're in the position of being a care receiver, here's another expectation. Expect to work. Again, it kind of goes hand in glove with the whole idea of over-the-counter treatment. Like, put this in the realm of physical therapy. Praise the Lord, I've never had to do it. I hear it's brutal. How many of you have done physical therapy? Is it brutal? No, she's really tough. Yes, okay, good. I got some realistic people. So I hear it's brutal and that they're, 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 they're just making you do all these horrendously uncomfortable things for a long extended period of time and they want you to like keep coming back to them to do those things. And it's, it's supposed to help, right? But you gotta put the work in. And if you go to the appointment and then you don't do what you're supposed to do between appointments, then it's not really going to be all that effective. But sometimes we think, and maybe it's kind of a catharsis thing, which is another thing that's not on the sheet that should be. Don't just go like for soul care just for catharsis to just sort of feel better for the moment, okay, because that doesn't do you any actual good. But sometimes I think people go to these sorts of meetings and encounters expecting to just feel a little bit different about whatever's going on. I just want to, I just want to get this off my chest, Right? And then after the meeting, you got it off your chest and you go back into the situation and suddenly the, 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 the big giant nastiness is back on your chest. And you see how much good that does you? Not very much. So expect to work. Philippians chapter 2. Okay, we'll come back to this a couple times. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we need to see that it is our, it is our work to, uh, to, to grow in our sanctification and, and by the measure of growing in that sanctification, see the culminating fulfillment of our salvation come about in our glorification. That's the idea of that. And so we're expected to work. And many times it seems like the expectation of someone who's struggling or is discouraged or is in doubt is that the caregiver can somehow accomplish their goals for them. Oh, if I just go meet with this person, they'll be able to fix me. But no, we all have a responsibility to care for one another, but ultimately your walk before the Lord is your responsibility before the Lord. We're called to walk with one another, to bear one another's burdens, to speak truth, to encourage, to support, to rebuke, and all that kind of stuff. But you must live it out. Okay? 
A caregiver can't read for you. A caregiver can't meditate for you. Not home, but like think about regularly God's truths. A caregiver can't do that for you. A caregiver can't repent for you. A caregiver can't memorize truth for you. And yet it seems like sometimes that's the desire. If I just go talk to this person, they'll fix me and I won't have to, I won't have to sweat. I won't have to bleed. I won't have to work. You should expect, we should all expect to put holy sweat into the process. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You notice it didn't say, hey, Timothy, go discipline everybody for the purpose of godliness. He says, discipline yourself. Discipline, sweat, hard work. It's the idea of gymnasium. You're working hard. You're exercising regularly for the sake of growth and strength. And in this case, it's for the purpose of godliness. So it's okay to have to work hard. Sometimes I think we're like, oh man, something's wrong with me if I have to work hard. But no, no, that's normal. That's normal. And so you need to have the right expectation that you should expect to work. See, I don't blame a counselor or a caregiver for giving up on a person who doesn't read, memorize, or put the work into implementing the counsel that's being given to them. I wouldn't blame a person for saying, look, you're not doing anything with, with what we're talking about, and so I'm done because I can't change you, and I'm not here for catharsis, and it's your job, and you don't want to do your job. So when you are, are in a situation of receiving care from, for, from someone, for whatever the case, anything on the whole spectrum of Christian difficulties and struggles and discouragements and sins that we've talked about, you must expect to put some holy sweat into the process and to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, okay? And there are a few things, though, as rewarding as seeing a care receiver eagerly and humbly implement the counsel and guidance that, that is given to them. Because God works, God works, and He changes lives, He changes patterns, He changes hearts, He changes relationships, and that's amazing to see. You should also expect to learn. All right, in Hebrews 5.14, there's the word that with practice comes the ability to discern good and evil. Practice is ongoing experience and, and efforts and, uh, and engagement with the situation. So it's not a one-and-done situation. This requires humility. There are truths to learn, and there's wisdom about applying those truths that you and I all need to learn in the midst of this process. You have more to learn about yourself. You have more to learn about your spouse. You have more to learn about your roommate, your coworkers. You have more to learn about God and His truth in order to learn how God's truth informs your thinking and responses in and with all those relationships, okay? And you'll mess up and you'll make mistakes. Again, we're talking about the care receiver, okay? Because sometimes it feels like in the midst of, of giving care to someone, they fail once and they think, ah, just chuck it all. You go, no, 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 it's a learning process, it's a learning process. It's not a deal breaker. It is a chance to learn. It's a time to repent. It's a time to cling to God's grace. And then it's time to move on with some added wisdom. 
You learn, okay, I thought this, but I just learned I can't actually do that. I thought I could handle this, but I just learned I can't, and so I need to put that away for the time until I've learned more. Again, it's not simply take a verse and feel better. You need to learn truths in the sense of really intake them in such a way that it comes out in your thinking, your heart, and your lives. So give yourself time and grace as the Lord gives you time and grace. And always remember, always remember Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. All right, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Double negative means he can sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And so you would think maybe then the result is, okay, so if you mess up, he's like, Psh, I did it. What's wrong with you? No, that's not Jesus. He says, it says this, after acknowledging that one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, then it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a sweet truth. Sweet truth. All right, you need to expect a process. Think about Paul and... Um, and, and the processes that he described, okay, then you see some, some verses in there. And you have, to, you have to understand, again, it's not over-the-counter treatment. If you've been dealing with a situation or think about the, you know, the, the loss of a spouse that you've been married to for decades, you're not just going to figure out how to deal with that. You're not going to figure out how to overcome some, some struggle that you've been struggling with for 20 years necessarily right in the moment. Expect a process and then through it all, expect to be humbly, honestly vulnerable. All right? In James 5, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. There's no need for a veneer in the Christian life. Sometimes we're very much veneer-oriented. But soul care is made almost impossible by vague statements. And this happens all the time, right? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And inwardly, I'm dying on the vine, but I can't express that to anybody. Okay, be, be honest. Be vulnerable. Don't judge one another when we are vulnerable with one another. But it's kind of like saying, hey, going to a financial advisor and saying, look, help me get out of debt. Well, how much are you in debt? I don't want to tell you. <laughs> okay, how much money do you make? I, I can't tell you that. All right, helpful. You know, like, like you, you wouldn't do that. And so you don't, you don't go to a situation of needing care without opening your heart and life and saying, hey, here, here, I'm an open book. Why? Because we just want to grow together in Christ. We all struggle. We all fail. We all have those issues. And so we grow together in Christ as we're openly vulnerable and honest with one another and then, and then working hard together towards applying God's truth. So humility, honesty, and vulnerability in the midst of life's struggles are the ticket through the gates to biblical ministry of healing and hope. What do we expect of God? We should expect God to work. We should. The counselor should expect God to work, and the counselee, the caregiver, the care receiver should expect God to work. It's God's will that you be sanctified. So he's going to help bring it about. Philippians 2 said, God is the one who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so it's easy to make the mistake that we think we're flying solo after salvation. See, God starts us on the process, and now he just sort of watches us to see how it goes. 
but we don't go alone. We're partnered with each other, but most importantly, we're partnered with God. And it is the Holy Spirit in our lives who creates and brings about change. And so expect Him to work. I mean, think about the person of God that we've been studying for three sessions. Now we have a few more. And think about the fact that He is your helper. You are not chained, enslaved, or hopelessly bound to any struggle, to any failing, to any sin, or to any issue because God the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ and have repented and placed your faith in Him and are living subject to Him, then the Holy Spirit has said, you are free from that and I will empower you with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He's your helper. So expect him to work. And listen, expect authority to rest in God and in his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God, right? And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God will be halfway equipped. No, so that the man of God will be fully competent. Fully mature. But see, many people don't like the idea of absolutes these days. Folks, if you're going to receive biblical truth and biblical care, expect to deal in absolutes and in a standard of authority in that truth that you either have to make the choice. I either submit to those as absolute truth and authority, or I just say forget it all. Okay, because God has spoken, and when God speaks, it's truth. It is often absolutes, okay, black and whites, and yet oftentimes we want to kind of say, well, yeah, but, or if only, or and also, well, no, 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 no. We need to come. We need to be able to say, yes, I submit to God's truth and to His authority in these situations, and so you need to expect that. And you also need to expect God to provide wisdom and effectiveness, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. It's in the context of trials. It's in the context of hardships. And if you ask in faith, God will liberally supply you. And it goes both ways. You can counsel. You can give care because God will give you wisdom. And you can receive counsel and you can grow through the process because God will give you wisdom. So expect that. All right, God equips this process, and God blesses the process. Now, I've horribly mismanaged my time, and we have five minutes for strategy, right? Because the service starts at 10.30, not 10.45 like I thought in my head horrendously just a minute ago. All right, so let's talk core strategy. First, having laid all those expectations rightly, correctly identify the problem. It's been the last couple of weeks of Sunday schools, right? Be discerning. Don't, don't gloss over and veneer stuff. Second, provide the appropriate hope. Again, something that's been talked about in the last couple of weeks in Sunday school, all right? Don't put your hope in things that are going to fail, your circumstances, people around you, et cetera, et cetera, your own strength, et cetera, et cetera. Third, and this is what I want to major on for four minutes, offer biblical truths according to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, all right? If you don't know this paradigm, and I don't have time to read it now, get really familiar with this paradigm, okay? This is basically how I always think when I'm dealing with anybody is, okay, 
God calls us to put off sin, to be renewed in our mind, and then to put on righteousness. So anything that you're dealing with, that's like your core strategy. Hey, in this situation, what do I need to put off that is sinful thinking, sinful desires, sinful motivations, sinful responses? How do I renew my mind in this circumstance so that my mind is then thinking rightly about it, so that my mind is gospel-oriented, so that my mind is saturated with the person and the work of Christ and His will in this situation, and then put on righteousness? How do I then change? my thoughts? How do I then respond differently? Like what would the physical and and verbal difference be between I respond in anger? So I'm going to put that off. I'm going to think differently as I renew my mind. And then instead of anger, I'm going to speak words of kindness, grace, if I, if I respond angrily to criticism, then I'm going to deliberately purpose in my head because of how I've been renewed in my mind to say, thank you for caring enough about me to speak what you thought. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to pray about it. And then maybe we can talk again. And, and, that's, and that's the process. That's a specific way to try to put it on. So that's in way too much of a nutshell. We could, we should, but anyway... Think, think those ways. Go saturate yourself in that passage. Put off, renew, and put on, okay? And, and, and realize that the more targeted and specific you can make these things, the better. So, like, you're not just dealing with someone and saying, hey, sin is bad, okay? Look, look, the Bible says sin is bad, <laughs> okay? No, 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 okay, so, so laziness is the sin. So what does the Bible say about laziness? You hear how much more specific that is for whatever someone is specifically dealing with. And then in terms of uh, renewing your mind, for example, not just, hey, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, that's a good exhortation. But give them biblical ammunition for rejoicing in hard times. Rejoice in the Lord because look at what this verse says about God and His work and what He's promised and what He has done. So, so specific biblical ammunition for those things. And then, for example, on the, on the side of uh, putting on righteousness, don't just do something like, hey, this is a whole over-the-counter thing. Hey, be holy and I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Great, thank you. What, what, is, what does that mean in this context? How does the Bible address my situation to, 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 to know that when I'm dealing with persecution and enemies and, and hard relationships at work, not just... Hey, go be righteous. But okay, what does the Bible say about your interactions with those who hate you or persecute you or give you a hard time or or mistreat you or whatever the case? Because you know what? The Bible handles that and, and, and talks about those situations in life and gives us principles that can address those things. And so we need to help each other understand that. All right? And I can't emphasize enough this notion of meditation and memorization. All right, I've seen changes in my own heart as I've grown in this discipline. You know, Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Joshua says, look, God tells him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. There's this encouragement and exhortation to meditate and to memorize because it changes your life. Because it changes your heart, it changes your mind. And so, you know, a lot of the times, 
You know, we, we even just do our daily Bible reading and then we're done and we don't think about it through the day and we wonder, well, why isn't my daily Bible reading working? Well, take some truth from that reading and say, what am I going to meditate on throughout the day that, that we've been talking about, that I've been reading about, so that when I'm driving or when I'm at the water break or whatever the case, I can think, hey, man, this truth is really awesome that God has shown me. How does it intersect with this moment of time that I'm in at work or at school or whatever the case? Okay, so you've got to learn to do some biblical meditation in life. And all these things are not earth-shattering. They're not particularly novel. Um, you would not have paid uh, admission to come and hear this. But it's the approach that God prescribed 2,000 years ago, and it still stands. Put off, renew your mind, and put on with the right expectations. And we can go a lot of miles together with this approach. If we're faithful, if we're intentional and diligent as caregivers and care receivers, then God will be faithful to His means and to His ends, and we can be amazed, amazed to watch as He works in these ways. We'd be happy to talk more uh, personally about the, the strategy especially, or uh, any number of people would. Uh, if you want to just explore that more, feel free to uh, contact us.